Oh God, you hit the button, so it's actually happening. <laughs> You're listening to And Now. This is Karen Veach, Lizzie Trelawney Vernon, Jessica Capot, and Anne Fope. And today we're going to be dealing with some things directly out of the files. So we've mentioned before that what we deal with is boxes of paperwork. And a lot of that is going to be correspondence. Uh, it's going to be postings on ArtsWire in a particular topic uh, with different members or users talking back and forth. It's kind of like an email thread uh, where everyone's responding and sometimes they're really focused on a particular topic and other times they're general chatter. And we're actually dealing with a segment of these postings entitled General Chatter today. Yeah, so what I've got in front of me right now, for you listeners, is one of the files, and inside we've got a bulletin conversation, and it's kind of like a Facebook post and then lots of different comments is how, what it looks like for me. And the posting at the top asks... Yeah, first is names. It, uh, it said Mark. Comments asking, why is it so quiet in here? And this is the sort of post that it first comes up with. He's clearly not in a very happy mood. I'm new at this party and at great risk of seeming rude and crude. I don't want to know some things. Why is it so quiet in here? In capitals. Every day I log on and there are not two new responses. What does this mean? Is anything happening in the arts now? Does ArtsWire only relate to art administrators? Perhaps we're all too busy to keep this online forum cooking. Is there a quiet crisis in the arts? So that's the sort of introduction that's kind of coming on. And what we're going to home in on is the fact he's asking... Does ArtsWire only relate to art administrators? Because there's a real fear that they don't want to speak to each other because they're worried that funders are going to be listening in. And we should say that funders, when we're talking about funders, these are going to be individuals who provide um, monetary backing for artists or helped to direct monetary backing. And can you say a little bit about funders? Right. Sure. They, they, um, they're people that often, the pe people who were part of ArtsWire at that point, I mean, there's lots of ways of funding, but... In this instance, they might be with a foundation or with a public arts agency and that gives money to the arts, arts organizations, artists sometimes. Um, so that's, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, and we, have a definitely, we definitely have a lot of that today where um, some people may feel that uh, if one individual says something and they happen to be a part of a company, then that's the idea that the company has um where this isn't necessarily true but this is a problem that a lot of the people on ArtsWire were facing and felt like if there's funders on here are they going to um judge me based off of my posts or vice versa where the funders would you know speak their mind and then all of a sudden that organization was tagged as this is the ideas of the entire organization so and that's something that we actually run in today as well. Um, I'm thinking of the policies at my work where I'm not allowed to post about work at all on any form of social media. And that's a contract that I sign when I get hired, right? And so now we see it as part of like this, um, this institution, right, of particular working environments. But here it was still kind of budding in some sense, right, that you had this opportunity to talk about things outside of a person-to-person -person context, and that that is also lasting, that these comments are going to be available for an indefinite amount of time. And so there is this concern about exactly what Jessica was saying, that there's um, 
some judgment potential there for right. last name. And again, we're looking at files from, let's see, what year is it? 1994. Yeah, so in 94, and this is all fairly new technology, and, you know, no one really knows, can I delete this? Like, will this always be available? And also, to be quite honest, we're going through the files again today. And so these are definitely files that have stuck around for a very, very long time. So it's just to say that it never actually does leave. Yeah. It's really interesting you said about the opinions because I'm looking at um, from March 94 right now, someone Eric is saying, there's a very, very real problem of people not wanting to say things that will be interpreted as the opinion of the organization they work for. <laughs> but also to give a response, not everyone is worried. Other people are complete other side of the um, uh, well, there's a question which says, said Alexander from a different company called Art, Art Matters is asking, um, is it possible to have a conference called Anonymous where we drop our identities and, rele um, and release it at all? And then Toma, who we interviewed last week, has actually given a response, um, which is just brilliant. He asks, he says, wait a minute, are you seriously suggesting that people are self-censoring their participation because of the presence of funders online? Do you have some experience or feedback from a funder to base this on? Now, I may be fairly naive. In fact, I'll admit to being naive when it comes to funding institutions. I admit they don't really play a big role in my life or work. But I find it hard to believe that funders would take note of, if even remember, postings on ArtsWire and let them influence future decisions. Or are we trying to pick a fight? So that's just like the complete <laughs> other side of the conversation. And there are people in this conversation yeah. saying, my funders are my friends, and do you think they really care that much? And... But well, and just a, just a little postscript. Mm. Tomer went on from Artswire, and a few years later became um, direct, deputy director of Grantmakers in the Arts. So over the, <laughs> over the subsequent ten or right. twelve or years Where or however long he was there, he, was yeah, he they became but, a very big part of his life. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and there's some funders that are in there as well that mentioned that they're going on vacation. So let's see if that changes anything and yeah those kinds of comments where some people really didn't care about you know they didn't it didn't phase them they didn't think that this was actually an issue where others very much felt like they were being judged for the things that they were saying mm. and i think that part of part of what's taking place is that this is a different format of communication than a lot of people have experienced um, where it is that you're having a conversation with an individual and you're aware that, let's say, you're an artist talking with a funder, there's a direct acknowledgement of those roles, right? But when it is that you're posting on this online forum effectively, it's a conversation that's much more dynamic and much more based around personal opinion rather than personal identity in that sense. Mm -hmm. And so I, th I, think, <clears throat> I think that that's the way the um, conversation has developed. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if it was taking if it place was, then. Yeah, right. Right. Interesting. And for, for me, at least, I, in this current moment, right, having been born after this conversation even took place, right, then there is um, a difference between having a conversation in person and having a conversation online, and that we view them as very different dynamics. There are different social, um, like, manners, right? To, right. in a conversation, you make eye contact, you, like, acknowledge the other people, on occasion, you provide verbal affirmation of, yes, I agree, or, mm-hmm, oh, tell me about that, right? And those are things that you don't do online. Though, yeah. though it's interesting, I'll, I'll just jump in and say there was a conversation back in 1992 um, at, about silence and about mm -hmm. how um, it, was, it was initiated by a, a 
Native American Indian man who's one of our participants, and <clears throat> uh, um, thinking about the way the, in his his language, his birth language worked, and how technology was affecting it, and how he could or couldn't um, sort of just how that affected it, and and that silence was a big part of the language. And someone else said, yes, silence is a very big part of any conversation, mm-hmm. and and that was picked up, you know, later on that same day. It looks like by Joe, um, who said, I very much like your point about silence. Um, and he says, I'd, I'd like two additions to my keyboard, a nod and an ahant key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah. sort of speaking to what you were saying. There's yeah. also a part where uh, some people are talking about how maybe people are just formulating responses. You know, you may be frustrated by something or maybe something like really is stimulating and you have to take a second to think about how you would even respond. Mm-hmm. Um, so, or maybe you're just checking to see what's going on and you're just not really prepared and you mentally know like, Oh, I, I remember this and I want to respond to this later, but I don't have time right now. Um, so that's also something that that's part of that conversation as yeah. well. I mean, it's just like a moment when you receive a Facebook message and you can see that you've got one, but you don't want to click it because then it looks like you've read it according to the, Facebook and what they can see. And while as if someone actually asked you a question, you cannot flat out postpone them till later. You answer it then and there. So right. what, what the internet gives you is a tool to control how you speak to, control your social life, control like, there's no way you talk to each other. And it t- take like, and you can, and obviously then formulate your answers, come across in a certain way that you want to do. You can manipulate what your words are. And actually this is, um, ties me into back to the conversation in 94. Someone's actually really worried about this. And they're comparing Artswire to another online, uh, New York City online community called um, Echo. I believe mm-hmm. it was. Okay. So I'm looking at Anne now to, yeah. for, uh, for to help, but that's, um, I think that's what it's called. But <clears throat> the certain file says, I'm more conscious of how I conduct myself on Artswire than I am on Echo. Echo is recreation. Artswire is a place for professional development and support. I'm far more of an artistic persona on Echo. I, I use a cinnamon. Synonym and take risks. At Artswire, I don't feel like a persona. It's just me trying to figure out how to live in this world as a working artist. I'm, um, I'm thrilled to read info on all sorts of topics with all, uh, from all sorts of arts folk. I'm glad we use our real names. I'm willing to be responsible for whatever I might post on here. I uh, appreciate that everyone sighs, assigns in his or her words. An anonymous conference would be good for those who want it. That little quote That's just says, it's, just, it's, re- it's just really interesting to how people can express themselves. Mm-hmm. Because if Artswire, code for her, has been viewed as a professional company rather than just a conversation, because it's in printed format, it's just, it, it's interesting what the, yeah. And of course it wasn't good, printed, it was, oh well it was, it's like type. Well yeah, yeah right, that's right, what right, I meant, right, it's in print right, form. Right, right, in print right. form. I think that is a, a very good point as well, that this is a space for people who have made the arts their life, right? This yeah. isn't, um, Artswire wasn't intended for the average art consumer, right? It was made for the art producer and the art curator and the art organization. And so people who are really dependent upon the arts community and being able to work in the arts community. And so the issues that are being raised aren't, do you prefer Kandinsky or Mondrian, right? It's a matter of how do we live in the current arts society and how do we deal with the current issues. And Mm. one of the passages in the file, if I can actually like snag it. 
So we have a comment here back in 1984 from Mark, um, and he says, so much of what we post is wildly interesting, but not absolutely necessary to today's fires. And that probably stands in the way of people becoming more active. It will happen more, I suspect, when the conversations are better structured so that it is easier to make brief comments and follow tracks of discussions. And I think his point is very apt that a lot of uh, the conversations that are taking place are really important for arts in general, right? Um, but not necessarily directly pertinent to, let's say, the, the current cultural crisis, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think of this a little bit in terms of when you're evaluating a painting. It's crucial to ask yourself, what is a painting? But that does not help you interpret necessarily a given work of art, right? You have to ask yourself, yeah. what is this artwork doing? I mean, you could really say this for any kind of movement in general, too. Like, uh, I don't know, I'm thinking about like politics today. Mm -hmm. um, this happens all the time where people kind of get sidetracked or they try to focus on one thing where they're not um, actually taking care of taking care of what they need to and the bigger problems at hand that would actually tear down everything that's kind of wrong. taking place. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and I think that it does it does pose challenges because if in fact you're looking to fight today's fires, then you might be like, right, the current cultural moment, then you might be missing out on some of the big picture, big picture issues, but it's also very hard to stay current, right? And, mm -hmm. and to have something that everyone can engage with and be part of. And one of the things that we were talking about earlier was going to be how it is that an online format allows you to think about your answers, right? And to take that time that right. you don't have to yeah. look at that message right now. Yeah. But it also means that sometimes a conversation can get away from you, right? Like you yeah. go back to something to be able to comment on it, but it's no longer relevant. Yeah. Right? It's really a thing he's really angry about. It's just the structure. And I, I'm sure readers get this as well when you have a group chat and you realize you've been asleep, had a little nap, you get, wake up and the group chat's got 200 messages on it. Oh, God. And yes. the, point you, the question you <laughs> asked before you went to bed has not been answered and the next topic's on. It's, it's rolling, it's rolling, it's rolling. And you are lost in it completely. Mm -hmm. And so it, what he's... That, I mean, that's essentially the format of what we got here. It is an enormous group chat, just going on and on and on, bulletin format. Um, and so what he's almost asking for is if it was all like a page where you had a post and then you could comment, and then, but mm -hmm. you can see the other posts and you can comment on them. Yeah. There's a clear like difficulty here in terms of being able to navigate the system and being able to find things quickly. Right, because things end up leapfrogging, right? So, yeah. you know, where you come in and you've made one jump and then you're in the air, you're not there, and other people have been doing all kinds of things below you. They've been building mushrooms or something and then you as a frog come back down. <laughs> this got a little out of hand. <laughs> no, keep it going. And at that point, you have re-entered the ground, right? You have yeah. now joined back with the mushrooms, but so many mushrooms have happened on the in-between that... I don't know, what you were thinking of while you were leaping was not mm. necessarily relevant anymore. Mm. And so you end up with people kind of like bounding over one another. And so things can't be treated in a super detailed way because you're just coming in at like at given points, mm. yeah. kind of sporadic involvement. Yeah, And that's why it's just the trouble with an internet conversation and a human conversation. Mm -hmm. You cannot have that element of eye contact, looking at each other, knowing... <laughs> just like Karen's really doing now to put me off. Um, but... Got called out for again. Yeah, uh, <laughs> again, like since this is so uh, early on with the technology, 
even just like the slightest thing like capitals is yeah. huge. Um, where today it, it not. still is for me because yeah. if somebody <laughs> writes me in capital letters, I think they're shouting. Yeah, I also <laughs> agree. <laughs> I view it as emphasis. Yeah, that's it's fine, but but for a little bit, right? A little uh, now and then, but yeah. I mean, I, know, I was thinking of our handwriting being being in all capitals, and that that now makes yeah. it a really clear and easy way to read something because all caps is very legible, right? Right. But that's not the same for a type-based format. And so there's actually a divide there as well. Well, yeah. And I mean, like, uh, a lot of, like, legal documentation will be in all caps as well because it's, you know, uniform and it's, there's no way to get, like, an L and a capital I mixed up because Mm -hmm. it's all in capitals. Yeah. So, I mean, there's also that. But in general, these people were very much, same with, like, the um, emoticons that they would come up with and whatnot and... Yeah. They're trying to work out an internet language yeah. very much, and there is no consistency, yeah. and there never was a consistency. Nothing has ever really been set in stone. Going, if capitalizes, you are shouting. Yeah, and I think that's that's a very it's good sort point. Of online online etiquette or yeah. internet yeah. etiquette that's, was yeah. uh, was a conversation. Well, and there's yeah. also not a sense at this point of online listening, right? So in a yes. conversation, we had been talking about silence, and I'd actually like to loop back a little bit because I'm fascinated by this mm. whole thing that online silence is not the same as conversational silence. So when it is that right now one person is talking, three people are silent and they're listening, right? Right. So in conversation, silence is listening. But online, silence is somehow conveyed as lack of involvement, Mm. right? And I wondered if if you guys had any thoughts on that. Yeah, that's actually, that's interesting. It kind of like, it kind of reminds me of what I was mentioning earlier with, um, it's possible that people are just thinking or like formulating a response. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, but it, yeah, it can definitely be taken as so many different attitudes. Like maybe they are just ignoring that person. Maybe they don't agree yeah. at all and they don't know how to talk about how they don't agree. Mm-hmm. And so they decide, you know what, this isn't worth my time and they're not going to respond. Um, or maybe somebody has an idea and they mention it. And then it just never gets responded to, and then they're just like, "Okay, I guess it was a bad idea." And mm-hmm. it's, it, you yeah. just can't you can't read people, and it really, yeah. like, it really makes you realize how convers- actual words is probably only ten percent of your actual conversation. Yeah, yeah. When you're in person, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 The yeah. eye contact and the body language is definitely a huge part of it. And yeah. This early on, it's. It, I mean, like I think we're a bit more fortunate to have had the internet for so long and kind of like have learned this by now where we know how we communicate over you know like online on facebook however it is Mm -hmm. um whereas it was just being figured out at this point and no one really knew how how to do it um yeah and i think there's a connection between online posting at this point, like back in 1994, as there is with restaurants. Like when we walk by a restaurant and it's empty, you go, ooh, can't possibly go there, right? right? And and so where it is that there's you know not that many people posting, then that is intimidating, right? Because then to post is this huge thing. You're breaking the silence rather right. than entering that space in the conversation that someone's providing, right, by that silence. Right, right. Yeah. And so it's very different. I mean, yeah, and that's, again, like something that's, in everything like a business is 
you know, it's, it's so hard to get your first couple of customers, but once you do, and same with like mm -hmm. reviews online for, you know, like that's why people on Amazon will email you like, can you like, please review, like you bought something for me, please review it, please review it because yeah. they want that review so then they can get more customers. And mm -hmm. otherwise it's so hard to, to have that, um, Almost like a rapport. Or, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, there, there is certainly that. Like, you see something that's like, be the first to review this product. And you're like, I'm not interested in it anymore. Yeah. I'm afraid. And, yeah, there, there is this fear online of, of silence. And I, I'm wondering if, in fact, it actually has connection to the other form of social silence, right? There's the social silence of listening. But there's also the silence when you walk into a room and no one's talking yet and you cannot possibly break that silence, or at least it right. can be excruciating to do so. Mm -hmm. right. The other fact <laughs> of, of those times is that there really weren't that many people on online, right. relatively speaking, relative to what we're familiar with now. It's like a friend told me that there's some study that says it takes about a thousand people to get a, a response, or a thousand viewers to get right. a response. Mm -hmm. So to expect Artswire to have had a lot of internal chatter, I mean, we probably had more than that then, just because it was a new phenomenon. Yeah. But, yeah. but still, yeah. Going off of that and also going off of your, like, leapfrog idea, um, there's this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember, and I don't know, I remember this conversation of... Um, you know, you had to pay per minute that you were online. Oh, yeah. That's and right. it's very possible that, like, going through all of these messages and this correspondence that you missed was going to cost you a lot of money. And so you would just print it out and you would read through it and then you'd go back online and then you missed more. So you would print it out. And it was just like <laughs> this never ending cycle of, like, I can't respond because I need to be caught up before I can say something. So, I, that makes me yeah, think of the group chat like none other because you right. spend you spend the time that you might have been engaging with the group catching up on those 200 odd messages that you miss because it blows up on 10 o'clock on a Friday night every single week, you know? Yeah. And, and then you're exhausted from that and, and you, you feel like you've done your work. Yeah. And you don't want to be the person who mentioned something and then everyone's like, well, we already talked about this or yeah. you want to, especially in this community where some people really do feel like, you know, this is like a... This is a professional community. You want to seem as, and again, it's a problem for people that funders are here. You want to be the, you know, top person. You want to know what you're talking about. You don't want to be repeating something or be that, that person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one person's actually, it, it's funny when you're saying on top of things as well, because for a lot of people, they're new to the keyboard and like you have to use it. And one person's saying that, She's really worried that when she's typing, that she makes lots of spelling mistakes, and that then comes across as her being sloppy. But in actual fact, she's actually struggling to learn how to use a keyboard. She's trying to keep up with the conversation. So that's demanding both like speed right, right. as well as skill, right. which yeah, right. for us is automatic. As in a, I mean, I can touch type now. It's like I'm used to doing it, but this yeah. is a serious issue. This is your academic profile. Yeah. On well, and we also have we have two things that really help us out. One is that red squiggly line that is just the bane of our existence. But can you imagine if it wasn't there? Because you right. wouldn't even know necessarily. Mm -hmm. and, and the other bit is going to be autocorrect. How often yeah. do we rely on not typing things exactly and instead that the phone will just figure it out and make it yeah. the correct thing? And yes, sometimes it leads to disastrous moments. But for the most part, 
it's, it's wonderfully so helpful. helpful. I can't even think of the last have time I correctly off? typed. I was going to oh, say, God, I did for two seconds. For a day? Yeah. yeah. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. So another... Uh, did you have something else, Lizzie? I don't no, know. no. Another another dynamic that I noticed was I thought I, in my, in the ideal world I thought, gee, an online conversation would be more equal because there's not nobody's bigger or louder than anybody else. Mm-hmm. But the same dynamic I discovered plays out because mm-hmm. some people respond really quickly mm-hmm. and they, in yeah. a sense, they dominate just by being on and. And, uh, and being true. on quickly. And I don't know if that's something that... That's true. That I mean, even today, uh, kind of a similar... Same with the group messages. I mean, there are some people that I know have their phone on them 24-7. And if mm-hmm. I message them, they will answer. Mm-hmm. And there are other people where I could guarantee that I would call them and they would never answer. And so it's like, I know who those people are and so it's kind of a similar thing where if you had a group message with those two people you know that you're really going to just be talking to the one right so right. Yeah. yeah this one um miss brown i believe she's saying she she's trying to this conversation that we're looking at this file is actually quite a wide conversation she's trying to summarize everything and on the topic of her writing being misunderstood just a really great little paragraph which kind of sums up everything we're saying so she she writes I recently wrote a response to some topic on Artswire about public inability to recognise arts and culture in their lives and how I thought artists and arts organisations could help to ameliorate this. My remarks were okay, hastily written and perhaps not as articulate as I can be, misconstrued and I got several responses questioning me and my ideology and my thought process. I never responded. I let the ball drop and I'm wondering how this looks to others. So that's like just a pause there. With that mentioning the fact that she's hastily writing things, not explaining herself how she actually is, therefore she doesn't have a persona. And then to say, um, questioning me in my thought process and how that looks to others. People are really worried about, do I need to have an online persona and then an actual persona? They can't be read and they're really worried. She says, um, she continues to say, I find, I find instant anything, uh, almost a thing. Um, I get so many faxes so quickly after an initial conversation that there is no turn down time to process, to think, to think about things. Sometimes too quick info gets shut down in my mind. I'm, and then she, she's trying to think about what she should do. So I'm wondering if I should only write offline and then upload. That very, uh, very well may change my pub, public uh, online persona. Then again, I never respond. But it's like, messages come so quickly and she's not sure how to response that she's thinking I need to compose myself, write something offline, so which is actually more me, and then put it online rather than trying to keep up with everyone else in the way that I am. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. really, it's just in, these things are I, I yeah, think about that, I think now. about that these days too. I mean, I, right. I'm i a different person, well, not the same, you know, I, I come off differently, I think, when I write than when I, than when yeah. I speak. Yeah, I think that that's actually very apt in some ways. So it's like, I was actually thinking of, um, applying to be an intern right and that for as part of that we wrote a little snippet of why we're interested now did i write that in the email absolutely not i wrote that in a word document and then transferred it over right and that's that's something that we do all the time because we have the opportunity to Mm. or at least i think that's something that we do yeah i do i do it all the time she's worried about breathing space right and And the internet doesn't allow you for that if you're 
if in fact you have to go through this whole process of getting on, right? And for us, it's always there. It's it's the constant, right? And our time is the, the fluctuating component. One, one conversation we used to have, and I'd love your thoughts on it, is mm-hmm. is, um, is email or is c- communicating online, is it more like speech or is it more like writing? Mm-hmm. It, uh, for me, it entirely depends on what I'm using. So if I'm on my Gmail and my emails, I am very much more formal. But if I'm on Facebook or Messenger, it is quick fire and most likely not spoken more like, correctly. And more and like that talk. is more like talk. And that's like more like how I speak. Whereas email, it's like, you know, I, I'm never going to talk to Karen. Like, dear Karen, da 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 yours sincerely, Lizzie's wrong about it. You know, that's, that would, she'd probably just, like, there's, I find with emails, it's more like if I was writing a handwritten letter to somebody, mm-hmm. but, but Facebook is more like conversation. And I guess I would agree with that in some ways. Um, I can't say that I'm a prolific poster because I, I potentially still have that sense of like, oh no, the internet, I'm terrified. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not really good <laughs> I'm not a great millennial, what can I say? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> but that yeah. being said, like in my emails to people, some are just straight up business and it's it's not necessarily prose writing, which is pretty polished. I tend to take a little bit from Jane Austen and write more words the merrier. Um, versus it's also it's it's also not conversation though, not having a quick chit chat. It's just get it in there, get it done, get out, right? And so there's no dear, there's no sincerely, it's just like meeting at this time, this place, I will see you there, looking forward to it, and then mm. out it goes. And so I think that there is this distinction in different types of writing based off of how long the turnaround time is supposed to be, right? So the faster the turnaround time, the more casual it is. Yeah. And so when we write a formal paper, that takes a crap ton of time. Yeah. And then it's very formal. An email takes a little bit of time, but it's getting something done versus a text, which is like hopefully instantaneous, right? And so I think yeah. that it's almost like time dependent on what it looks like. Yeah, yeah um, I think for me, maybe this kind of relates to how these people feel on Artswire because um, I, for one of my past jobs, my job was to be customer service and write emails all day. And I've gotten so quick at writing emails that it's nothing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know exactly who it's going to, and I know what it's concerning. Whereas on something like Facebook, I hardly ever post because anybody can look at it. Um, I'm not terribly concerned with uh, privacy. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't, I know exactly what I can post on Facebook or what I should post. So I'm not concerned with people seeing a picture of my face. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not going to be putting anything that's insane or crazy or anything that I shouldn't be, for example, for work or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, but I just like, it's still like, if I happen to choose the wrong word, I could really offend somebody kind of idea for me. Mm-hmm. Whereas again, like if I'm talking to somebody on in an email, I know exactly who I'm talking to and they could forward it. But in that context, they know who it's to and who it's for. Whereas status is for everybody that's on my friends list. Mm, so I think that's a very good like, point. Yeah, so you take the concept of a big hall um, and for the people. A Facebook status is like going into that hall and shouting out what you just said to right. everyone. Uh, however many friends you've got 
they can all see that. And sometimes I think you, it's quite easy to get into a bubble and think, oh, yeah, a couple of friends will see this. And I remember, well, it's my friends from my first school, then my second school, then my university, then every trip I've done, it added on. They yeah. can all see it. Yeah. So it's definitely. Yeah. I think that's, that's a very good point. And it's also that's good to be able to relate that kind of Facebook posting style where it's to this huge audience that's super diverse back to Artswire, right? Because it's not just artists. Yeah. It's not just funders. It's both. But it's also people who are involved in particular arts communities, right? So they're trying to navigate all kinds of social issues as well. So, like, let's say at this time we're mm. dealing with... Um, like uh, civil rights, uh, still is kind of getting its feet under it and dealing with feminist issues and also dealing with the treatment of Native Americans. And all of those organizations, not just people who fall into these denominations, but the organizations that are deeply invested in these issues are here and present and reading, yeah. right? And they're going to be attuned and they're also going to be more willing than anyone to say something, right? And so it's not just the potential of offending someone, it's the potential of offending the people who care the most and have the biggest voice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there wasn't a kind of critical mass of sort of any one, I mean, mm -hmm. critical mass, obviously, of people involved in the arts one way or the other, but mm -hmm. not a critical mass on the Native Arts Network, or not, yeah. which was a subset, or mm -hmm. not a critical mass in any one of those, <clears throat> not a critical mass of funders. To, yeah. that, to right. have, you know, we tried to give people special, you know, their own areas mm -hmm. where they could yeah. develop their own conversations. Yeah. It's interesting, this kind of reminds me... Um, a bit of both email and Facebook in a sense of like we know that they're not talking to us and we know exactly who they're talking to because we can see who who these messages are for and what conversations they're in mm -hmm. but also there are people who are much more active on these mm -hmm. um, postings where we all have that person on Facebook that posts way too much Me. <laughs> but even like even more know, than like, you, Lizzie. No, yeah. I haven't seen like two of your posts compared okay. to some of the people okay. on my Facebook. <laughs> yeah. So it's there's just, a different kind of there's types of posts, isn't there? There's there some are the yeah, posts there's... which are like you've been on holiday and you take some photos and then post that. Definitely. And then there's like making toast, lol, kind of posts. Right. Like this like, is what I had for breakfast. Right. This is what I'm not at the gym now. Like this is what I'm having for lunch. Like post gym workout or whatever. Post gym food. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> No, that's, I know Trying exactly to make what up you mean. words and hashtags and whatnot, but not the, you know, there's like those people that it's just like, okay, like I don't, I'm, I don't need to feel like I'm next to you throughout the entire day. And I think that those individuals also stand out super strong in these printouts of the online discussions because it, it's so odd in comparison, right? right? Artswire is this pretty professional place. Everything seems pretty put together. We get excited when we hear that someone's going on vacation because it seems so casual and fun and normal and like email to us. But for the most part, the files are paragraphs, you know, like right. someone, it's not unusual for someone to post an entire page worth of text and that yeah. that's their post in this conversation. Right. And that's yeah. then, then to have someone have a one line response like you might see that poster on Facebook, right? It's very different. So I'm actually kind of curious, and I don't know that we've looked into this at all, but I'm curious if the people who tend to post the most or post like longer posts, did they tend to be in like higher end organizations? Oh, here at Artware. Yeah. You know, like 
Again, like, I'm just, I'm just thinking about how the internet or how online worked in these days. And again, like, you had to pay per minute. And yeah, that's what I was thinking. Did they have a lot of money to just be like, okay, I'm going to get an account with this, what was it, MetaNet? Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm going to get an account with Artswire. And then I'm going to pay per minute to write my opinion. And I'm also an artist, and somehow I'm making money. You know, and it's like... That it's it's a special breed who can post that often. I think that's a very good point. And there yeah, is in this some discussion of, of money in terms of even keeping up with the technology. That part of what's taking place is that navigating the system is actually quite challenging. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yes. should I file dig to find the quote? Okay. Um, and so like part of part of the comment is going to be that staying up to date and in order to navigate the systems requires both time and money, right? Because it's not just the expense of being online. It's also the expense of being able to have the tech. So, oh, look, um, you now have a GUI system, right? An interface system, and you can click on things. That means you have to have a mouse. Well, that's a new piece of tech, yeah. right? And so all of these things do in inevitably relate to funds to a certain extent. Building what you're saying, it's um, it's like when um, you have a smartphone mm-hmm. versus having a Nokia brick. Like, oh yeah. Like, <laughs> if you don't have your smartphone, you are not on the same level of communication. It's like you don't have the same form of language yeah. as other people. So I actually ran into this um, quite frequently. So up until recently, I didn't have unlimited texting. Um, no, it gets better. So I, I had 200 texts a month, and that is that counts in and out. So 200 total. So you could effectively send 100 texts a month. Now, in comparison, I now send about 5,000 texts a month. I don't even want to look at how many I send a month. That doesn't even include iMessaging. No. Dude, you had a bad contract. So <laughs> it was a cheap contract, my dear. Of course it was. And so it's, it's one of those things. Or like... I also don't have that much data. Mm-hmm. I have one gig to share between three people, which means that if I'm not on internet, I can do nothing online with my phone unless I am lost in the woods, right? So then it means that I'm not on Facebook checking things on a regular basis unless I'm in a Wi-Fi zone because I don't have the data to do it. Huh. And so I think that that still is creating this it's interesting thing. So it's like, right? yeah, when, when it is that a messaging system, like let's say Facebook Messenger as a group chat, gets all hot and bothered and everyone's on there and there's hundreds of messages coming in, I'm not going to see those until later. And thus, you know, regularly running into a backlog of like 200 messages, right? And so these are actually things that we still experience, but it's such a small population that is dealing with it in that way, I would say. Definitely. Um, That reminds me of work where one of the things that we tend to try to push is an app Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's just funny because that's one of the first questions we'll ask customers. And some people just pull out their phone and it's a flip phone. And we're like, oh, never mind. Yeah. Especially when they're, you know, asking for certain, you know, files or whatever it is that they need. And we're like, oh, you can just find it on the app. And it's like, well, no, you can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's, yeah. I think that there's also, it's, it's important to point out the fact that there was, a difference in availability of knowledge, mm-hmm. right? So where yeah. it is that people are working with the tech in ArtsWire and getting used to how to even navigate an online system and a bulletin system and how that all works. 
we now can go and anything that we want to know, we can either ask so-and-so next door because they're going to know because they have a smartphone, blah, or we can Google it. Yeah. But there was no Googling it, right? No. Yeah. And if you couldn't figure out how to get online, you couldn't look it up or ask anyone that way either. You could call someone, but you can't be on the phone and online at the same time, right? And so yeah. just dealing with the tech issues, that's a huge limitation. So again, it comes down almost to having the money to be able to do it that maybe you need a personal tech guru. Right. And I think the only time that that happens now is when your internet is down and the internet company tells you to log on to their website, which I have actually experienced recently. Oh my God. Yes. And it's very frustrating, but I think that's the only time recently that, you know, people hmm. today will experience that same frustration of, mm-hmm. I can't because I can't get online and yeah. that is my issue. I can't look it up. I can't fix it. Yeah. Um, so, but even today, that might not be as bad of an issue because, again, most people do have, you know, data plans on their phones. Mm-hmm. And personally, I have an unlimited one. So it's like, oh, okay, I'll just Google it real quick. And I don't want to even tell you how much data a month I use. It's like over 10 gigabytes. Jesus. <laughs> because it's like, why not? I can't, you know? It's yeah. just, it's crazy. And just translate that to all those fields of Yeah, all that <laughs> of computers. And it's also, you know, there's still restrictions on how companies, um, like, when you have quote-unquote unlimited, you only get, you know, the LTE for a certain amount of, like, for one gigabyte. And then once you've reached one gigabyte, now you have 4G until you have 2G. And so that's why, like, as your month goes on, your internet slowly gets, well, yeah, progressively gets slower and slower. And so it's just this, like, whole trick of... I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. And so, I don't know. I don't know if that's anything that, you know, was happening at that time. But again, it's it's instead of, you know, we're... It's almost the same in a way. Like, instead of paying per minute, mm-hmm. we're paying to get, quote-unquote, unlimited. But really, our internet's getting slower as the month goes on. And we're like, why is this so slow? Until your bill you know, renews the next month and you're like, oh, my internet's back. Okay. And we don't even really think about it. So, I don't know. Weird comparisons. I was was thinking of the fact that nothing will frustrate us more than when the internet doesn't work. Oh, Like, nothing will get me quite as angry as when the Wi-Fi doesn't work. And in part, because I don't know how to fix it. Like, my, my solution to this day is unplug them count for a little while, and then plug them back in. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, if, that and if that does not yeah. fix them, I'm just angry. Because mm. <laughs> I feel powerless, right? And so it is this, this thing where it's like, it's a very unique instance for us at this point where, like, the Wi-Fi doesn't work. But when it doesn't, oh, man, is that... Like, what it, do you mean it doesn't work? No, oh, yeah. It's like, this absolutely has or, to work. Yeah, or, like, uh, you go to, like, a cafe or something, and you know you, like, go with your... Computer. I used to work at Jamba Juice, and the, like people will come in with their computers, like, "What's your Wi-Fi password?" And it's like, "We don't have Wi-Fi," and they would get frustrated at us. And it's like, first of all, you bought nothing. Second of all, okay, we don't have Wi-Fi, but people get so angry about it, and it's just yeah. so funny. But, I, there are quite a lot of cafes I've noticed. There's a couple in Seattle that are um, 
they did say on the outside, we do not have Wi-Fi, come and talk to each other. Yeah. And that is one real thing. Um, it's just mm. like, if you, if you, people, some people I feel like they like their, to control their social, like the way they talk to each other, but when you're online, like we feel more comfortable talking to people online yeah. and that kills actual human conversation. There's nothing I hate more than going to a cafe with someone and they're on Snapchat or they're on talking, to, talking through a different means. Like they're just on, somebody talk, else. Just yeah. somebody else. Or when you're sitting, I mean, Working in a cafe, that's, like, different because you're not talking to people, but cafes are there for the purpose of socialising. Right, yeah. And it's, yeah, I just want Yeah, it's definitely, I've seen a lot of, a lot of restaurants and cafes like that, especially around Seattle. Yeah. Where they really try to promote that, like, you should be talking to each other because yeah, it is, like, a huge, yeah... I mean, I've seen it at Bazaros, which is an Italian cafe, and there is a charge if you are seen with your cell phone out. It's like a $10 charge. If, if you are, <laughs> like, Oh, yeah, that goes straight Whoa. on your bill. If, in fact, you have your cell phone out during your meal, they will... <laughs> it's part of their whole thing. It's right. like, wow. you are here to be in this super weird, decorated environment, right? And so we've now come to the point where the whole online communication is so easy and so ubiquitous that it's harder to have those in-person conversations Right. And I think the first thing that, you know, when someone starts to feel awkward, they go to their phone. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and yeah. it's like, Safety waiting at a bus stop is really quite funny. Oh, I guarantee <laughs> Or you're on the tube in London, you just go on your phone, therefore, to put your blankets on, not talk to people. Yeah. And that's what yeah. it is. And actually, quite a lot of time, I don't, and I look around, and it's really funny. If you just think about it, guys, we're all sitting in the room together, all just looking at our phones. Like, it's just a bit, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's funny because every single time I notice that and I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm going to put my phone away today, yeah. I end up talking to somebody on the bus. And you have a great day. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like the nicest person. And it's just like, we have this like great conversation. We're like headed the same direction. We walk together, whatever. And it's like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do it a, a yeah. lot. Yeah. And yeah. people are always like, oh, it's so hard <clears throat> to meet people. And it's like, it really isn't. You just have to put your phone away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, um, I, I think that. America has a bit of a different culture than other areas Definitely. that is not as inviting for conversation. So I had been traveling and I, I'm a chatty person. Uh, and, and I just chatted with just about everybody mm. and I had a great time and I met all kinds of people. And I then was in an airport back here and I was making a transfer and there was someone in line in front of me and I started talking, right? Cause I wanted to have a chat. I've been on a plane for hours. I was like, Oh look, another human. It'll be great. And they turned around and they looked at me like I was absolutely bonkers. <laughs> like, how dare this random person start talking with me? Oh my and, gosh. And they I were not it. just like, they weren't just surprised. They were upset and kind of angry and creeped out by me. And I'm going, oh, uh, no, sorry. I, you're right. I didn't want to talk with you. And so I think that there is still like some individuals where it's yeah. not as open. It's very yeah. uncomfortable. It depends where you are. And it's particularly with actually America and Britain. Britain is known as far as I'm concerned as I've been in my year abroad to be quite cold generally yeah. to people. And that is just the fact that if you're in a shop, and I can totally relate to this, we hate it when someone comes up to us, do you, would you like some help? Would you like some help like, looking for something? And I was like, nope, don't talk to me. We want to do our thing. We and don't we'll, like we'll let you know if we have a question. Yeah. yeah, it's like, no, I'm just browsing, run away, show the next clothes, and then come back to look what you're actually looking at. Just, there's a, like, the idea of confronting someone. The tube is a famous place. If you talk to someone on the tube, so, like, um, it's, like, you're mad, you're psycho, you want to kill them. Like, who talks to each other? They're definitely insane. Like, it's, 
And I find that actually a lot of the time on the Seattle bus as well. Yeah. If the bus will be silent, people bring their phones or music or just maybe with a friend. But if one person's talking, that person's probably high or on something yeah. or a little bit crazy and you're like, oh, that's the person to avoid. Yeah. No, being that's loud, very true. Being loud in public is not good necessarily. And it's very much, I wonder if it's a whole like smartphone and talking in a controlled manner is kind of playing out in public, now changing public life a little bit. It is, it is interesting and it is different in where you are. I think perhaps, and this is, this is me just kind of spitballing here. Yeah. When we have become aware of having this online persona, right, of, of, um, having all of our actions online be documented in a particular way. Mm-hmm. I think we're all decently aware of that, right? Yeah. That there is this opportunity for ourselves and our comments and our interactions to live on outside of us indefinitely and to be spread to potentially hundreds of thousands of people. And so I think that there's that concern then going out in public that I know if I do something ridiculous in public, what's the likelihood that someone's going to have a photo of that or make a post about it or blah, blah, blah. And even if it's not linked back to me, like think of how often people take like sneaky photos out in public oh, yeah. because someone is wearing something <laughs> weird. Like, come on. You know that I'm everybody knows that they've done yeah. it. <laughs> My phone case looks like a book, so people have no idea what I'm doing. Oh, of course. I've been asked so many times, are you reading the Bible? Are you taking the Bible with you? It's, Let's it see looks it. like a... Oh, yeah. My phone case works. Read it. You can't see it. But it literally... I kid you not, it's a little book. Uh, <laughs> so when I'm on the phone... Right, and I hold it up to my face. It looks absolutely ridiculous. It's like a it does. Phone. It does look very silly. My dad has put this on the shelf, on the bookshelf, a gazillion times. Now I think he does it to tease me, but it's like I'm on my phone. Oh, it's next to the Bible. Like there it is. But like that's me always trying to hide the fact I've got a phone. <laughs> that's fascinating, and it works brilliantly in lectures. I can keep it on my desk, and people don't question it. But that if there's a phone on my table, if that was there, people are like, put that way. Totally. I mean, like, I, I got called out during class for taking notes because I had my oh, phone yeah. out. And yeah. it's like, but I'm taking notes where other people aren't paying attention. That's because now, now phones, unlike when phones started, can do so many more things. True, yeah. Phones definitely. and our laptops. Oh, no. Mine has a split screen. Now that's cool. Well, <laughs> well so I started with phones that were pretty exciting, but they had a dial. Yeah. A brown. <laughs> I love that. I and love now that. it's very difficult, I suppose, definitely for teachers to be, you cannot tell when someone's texting and when someone's taking notes. Right. Because the thing can do both. Yeah. I think of all the laptops and lectures. I hate them. <laughs> I hate it when people have laptops and lectures. The I things that people <laughs> will, will look at in class, I'm like, I can see your screen right now. Yeah. I know. Like, oh man. I think it would be interesting if we got any responses from the audience about how people feel about laptops in lectures because at my home university in Edinburgh it is allowed and there is a sea of Mac laptops or if you're like me you have your paper and pen or if you forgot that then you're a really rubbishy little laptop that's not Mac but it's just that everyone's typing and everyone types so fast and so when you listen just you just write you just do it all the way through and Mike your notes look pretty and you can find them really quickly which helps like to write essays yeah but it is so utterly distracting and it's honestly I feel like putting up a wall between you and the lecturer and I didn't realize that until I came to UW 
where in all my lectures there is a laptop ban. There is no laptops unless you have special permission to have a laptop in lesson. And there is so much more conversation. There is so much more eye contact. And I learn so much better because I'm not distracted with that screen. I actually find that fascinating because yes. I don't yeah. know of any That's class that explicitly yeah. has a ban on laptops. Just nobody yeah. hardly uses them. In like, yeah. Yeah, so there's a couple it's actually. very different in the UK. Even, okay, it. this is actually kind of amazing, but the computer science class mm -hmm. has a ban on laptops. Fascinating. Um, if you want to have a laptop, you have to sit in the top back row. And yeah. there's only two rows, I think it is, maybe three. Um, that you are allowed to use your laptop. Yeah. So you have to get there early in order to get a seat in those three rows. Otherwise, you have to use a notebook. That's yeah. fascinating. And a paper with a pen with right, like yeah. that kind of notebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Pen and paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the thing is, it's like most of our classes generally they record video um, of the mm. lecture mm -hmm. and they encourage that you go back and look at it. And honestly, a lot of the professors, a lot of my professors have even said, do not take notes, just listen to what I'm saying. And they're like, if you really want to take notes, go back and watch the lecture later. But like, just don't even take out a notebook, just look at my slides and listen to what I'm saying. And that is like the best way I've ever learned. Because it is so just like, I'm very in it and there's nothing at all to distract me. Even if I have a pen and paper, I'll start doodling, so. Yeah, it's like the fact when you are listening to a lecture and they put up the PowerPoint, guaranteed, as I know, especially in my politics class, people write down what's on the board. They just, they're like, you point, 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 point. And you can just do it in automatic. You're copying the slides. You're not actually listening to what she's saying. Well, if you're in a lecture, that's what comes to realize and what my tutors at Nenbury used to say is that, note down, what the, the person says because you can visit the slides later the right. slide like that information they're telling you in person you can't get that again i mean it's different with my politics because nothing's online so you have to kind of go really quickly but it's what they say because how they'll say it is how it's taught and that's how you will understand it and that's typed up it's in yeah. a formal language which is not exactly as relatable because you learn it how the teacher said it so i'm wondering back your your previous comment that the laptops create a wall between you and the professor, right? Yeah. And that that system of note-taking or that system of engagement is actually a lack of engagement. Mm. And I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious about that. And I was wondering mm. if you had actually any thoughts on that or like how it is that laptops or computers in general kind yeah. of created either a barrier or provided an opportunity. Well, I know that for myself, I can't take notes on a laptop. I mean, and, I, and I'm thinking it's partly because of the way my brain works, and it's not, it's not very linear. And so my notes are kind of all over the place, mm -hmm. and with a pen and paper, I can do that. Mm -hmm. And actually, it helps me remember what happened mm -hmm. um, yeah. to, have, to have notes. But there, I, and I'm convinced there's some connection between oh, my brain. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Because you remember how you... Because it's a slower process. You have yeah. to physically take it in more. It's like if you... Uh, I find that when I'm revising history of art, a really effective way for me, if I need to remember a painting, is just to draw it. Huh. And then if I need to learn a painting, I draw the painting, because then you pick out details you would have never seen when you first looked at it. Well, because yeah. it's just right. That's so a slow really process. good point. I should do that to realize. Really it takes a long time to help. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, so I seldom have, in, for myself, I seldom have a laptop out when... I'm with other people. If, if I, I do often work in a coffee shop and I have mm -hmm. my laptop, but if I'm not actually using it, I put it away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm so torn because I think it's nice to 
like if you take notes, I can type a lot faster than I can write. Me too. Um, and I can just do command F and yes. find exactly the word that I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, but I definitely learn so much better when it's, I know, like I can imagine the like, like where on my paper I wrote it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, when when you, when you actually write yeah. it. Yeah. And it's like, I know how I wrote it and I know I like did this one doodle. So if I just look for that doodle, I'll be able to find it and mm. I go look for it and it's yeah. right there. Yeah. yeah. So it's like. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. really true. It doesn't work for me because I do mind maps. That's how I learn. Um, so if I tried to do mind, I've tried to do it before, make pretty mind maps on the computer, and it's like stressful because then you're dealing so with graphic design. Sick. Yeah. So mind maps. So um, it's node like based. Flow in the, yeah. So like a flowchart. So in the okay. middle, I will write my concept or the lecture check, title, right, right, and then right. it spirals off. So that's my notebooks right, right. look crazy. Right. And before I've, I was doing one on classical art, and we had very few. We were looking at less pieces of artwork, but more like writing about them. So when the lecture slide was up, it'd be a, a, var, a vase or something, I'd draw the vase throughout the whole time they were talking. Because there is also yeah. a connection between using your creative half of the brain and using your other half of the brain right, at the right, same right, time right, right, right. as helping. And that for me would help <clears> to be like, oh yeah, I remember that little bit was that. So, but then people, got to remember that people all learn differently. Like yeah, I'm that's true, a very yeah. visual learner, but other people learn yeah. it just by listening, like what Jess is yeah. saying. For and me, I, I would take it all in. You learn by writing. Yeah. So it's okay. or yeah. talking, <laughs> yeah, or even just yeah, or like revising with people rather than revising by yourself. Right. It's yeah, no, definitely one of my favorite. It's hard to cater to all. Yeah, one of my favorite things to do, I think, is just like listen to a lecture and then like call my mom and explain to her what happened. Oh yeah, because then I try to teach it to her, and I might not even know what I'm talking about, but then I'll be like telling her something and I like act very confident and in my head I'm like I don't know what I'm talking about so then I'll go look it up yeah and then that moment that I'm looking it up I'm like okay wait what did he say and like looking yeah. that information up I tend to remember it better yeah so it's uh-huh. like between just sitting there and listening and re-explaining it to somebody who has no idea what I'm talking about you know my mom is not mm. like she's done photography in this like a tiny mm-hmm. bit mm-hmm. and aside from that she's always just like so what did you learn in your class today and mm-hmm. you know she still does that even mm-hmm. today so it's yeah. like yeah it's great and I, I think it's really um i like how bringing it back to the like it's related to what we're saying but also back to arts about how they're worried about you should write it and then post it back up yeah um because they still want to have control about how they write because they like that form of handwriting yeah and right, they like right. because um i've taught little kids at, back in the uk and some of the kids have started to use laptops rather than write. <laughs> and that well, it freaks me out. But the reason it freaks me out is because of the loss of handwriting. Is Because so, when you sit in an exam, unless your handwriting is crazily dope, you cannot read it, you have to um, handwrite it. Now, I've been in that experience, I'm sure other people have as well, where you type up the whole term and you have an exam and it's handwritten and you're like, well, I can't write anymore. And mm-hmm. the the <laughs> emphasis on handwriting is much less than it used to be. Like in the past, there was a much. It seems in my whatever I've seen, like old handwriting, the handwriting is very neat. There's a lot of emphasis put on your handwriting and making it look good. Whereas today, you you write handwrite how you are, and then people well, can't read it. It's fine, got on the laptop. And I think that's a real danger to lose handwriting. I think even today, um, in elementary school, mm-hmm. there is no spelling. Actually, it's not just that there's no spelling taught. It's not allowed to be taught. What? Um, yeah, it's very disappointing yeah. because that's what spell check is for, is what they say. Um, every student has an iPad assigned to them. Yeah. And 
What school we, is this? We fought against having an iPad. We were all going to have iPads. None of us wanted them. We were well. We wanted them, but to play games on, not right. to. I, I'm just going to say it's a it's a school district that does this nearby. Um, it's in California. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I I had this moment where I was like. My, I can and, I can assure you that like the school district that I came from could not afford that like and hands well, down and could this not. This is like this is when I was in school. This wasn't happening. This is right, very right. recent. Yeah, and it's happening in all of the U.S. It's happening in the U.K. too, and it's disappointing. And it, I don't know. It's just like that's terrifying. There's also the um, the environmental argument. A lot of people say they're like, oh, well, we won't use all this paper. Oh God! Like the tech doesn't cost <laughs> anything to put together. Okay. Oh, like that oh. reminds me of Anne and her snippets of paper <laughs> in order to save paper. Just how to put it out there. Mm. That's well. Uh, that's so true. And I mean, I do feel a little bit like a crotchety old person, you know, just like oh, there's new kids using only technology, and they should learn how to write by hand. But but I do feel that way. Yeah, and I will yeah. own that as a 21 year old. Like I. Yeah, I think that there is so much importance to having the personal touch, literally, right? Where it is that, like, my hand has created something and given it to another person. And that the ability to create through our own means rather than through technology is absolutely crucial. Mm. Well, I mean, it's just, like, at work, um, customers will compare us to other companies that don't use paper. And we use paper in order to create a paper trail, a literal paper trail. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's not necessarily environmentally friendly, but it's also to protect the customers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's, I don't know, it's just so back and forth where it's like, yes, I do very much want to do that. But also like, sometimes you have to have things like on paper. Teachers are like that as well. I find with marking, I suppose with Karen, you probably yeah. found this in your tutor and you're like, Marking something online is exceedingly more difficult than writing something. Like, if somebody had a paper, but then ticking it off. Yeah. Oh, right. oh that's absolutely that's true. I marked way fewer about, things. Right. Yeah. And that's something that I've actually talked to Karen about, where it's like, I honestly, as a student, do not read what my professors write when it, they write it on Canvas or online. Yeah. Um, yeah. When they hand me back an essay that I wrote and yeah. they have not even like red marks just like pen marks anywhere i will read it it's yeah because also the way right the difference between a typed letter and a handwritten letter is actually there's an emotion in the letter yeah you can you know if you're writing something quickly it might come out slightly more italics or you can read handwriting a little bit more you can see how hard someone's pushed a pen into a piece of paper yeah in terms of if they're really disagree with your point i've had it where they just scriggle it and they're just like no next to it you know there's an emotion behind words which helps us understand human conversation a little bit more than typing out i think you could possibly work on this point like it's yeah i think that's very true and i would actually like to interact with something that i'd I'd like to return to something that jess was just saying as well that the creating a paper trail right and that that we see that right now we are dealing with the paper files only so the fact that it was printed out means Mm -hmm. that we're dealing with it but there's with a box of floppies. Right. Yeah, with, with our twire. Mm-hmm. But there's a box of floppies. Somewhere. Right. right. Which is <laughs> which is in text, the the tech remnant mm. of of all of these things. But that's not what we're dealing with because that's not as permanent as the paperwork itself. Right. But then paperwork, to turn it back to what we're now doing, which is putting it back onto a computer, is saying, well, paper's great, but we're going to have so much of it. 
We need to condense it all into something that's easier to find. And it's like what Jess was saying earlier about like being torn, like wanting to find your work quickly and therefore losing control left. Like, as much as we love the paper, it is not the most efficient system of finding things. Yeah. So it's it's a hard game, but I think we have to make the, we have to go towards computers for things. But mm-hmm. I think it, but, at the cost, of, there is a real danger of human interaction. But just the same way that you were talking about there being learning what you can do online and what you can't, what you have to talk about. I think the same thing is true of paper. What has mm-hmm. to be on paper and what doesn't. Right. You know, it's like, it isn't like it's an all or nothing, mm-hmm. sort of. I mean, I was kind of nuts then, you know, printing it all out. But mm. um, I had my way of saving paper, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But also, if that didn't happen, then we wouldn't have it today. Right. Yeah. So, right. I mean... I mean, the floppies may be still around, but they... Are next to useless, I think. <clears throat> I'm Not, sure we can find we're, somebody. We have to find a way. To I, do this. I know. I know <laughs> a person. <laughs> so in the future, there might not be the device to read the floppy. The floppy is there. That's for, what I mean, right? right. Yeah. Right. yeah. The right. Like, <laughs> That's very right. you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's why. Yeah. I, was I think. I think we're ready. Are we ready? Any final words of wisdom from you all about what you've learned from all of this? One of the things that I did want to bring up is that I found this lovely note to myself. Do we want to do that now? Do we want to do that at a later date? We found a fun fun fact about Oswald how it relates to Karen's life. So so I keep notes on paper for our Artswire projects, including and now and other things that we have going on, because I love notes and (laughs) I am a mini Anne creating files, I swear. Um, And I just got to the end of the notebook and there's this wonderful little note to myself. And it reads, within a will, leave a tree to itself and the tree will then legally own itself. Glorious. So what... What I realized is this is actually something that we found in the files. We found a conversation around a tree that legally owned itself. A man had this massive old tree on his property, and when he passed away in his will, he left the tree to itself. So the tree now owned itself and was therefore treated as an independent entity, uh, and it meant that the federal government couldn't do anything about it because it couldn't sign any paperwork right there was some conversation <laughs> yeah. about that yeah it couldn't sign anything so and, and the tree wouldn't of course then be able to sign away its right to live and therefore be able to be cut down for construction and so the tree has just continued indefinitely as its own entity and i thought that was a glorious little thing uh, so everyone <laughs> keep that in mind uh, add a little something to your will but also these are the random little jewels of Artswire and of the things that we come across and that's pertinent then and it's pertinent now that will wrap up this episode of And Now thank you for joining us this is Karen Beach Izzy Trelawney Vernon Jessica Caveau and Anne Folk